0: A few weeks ago, we started a series on divine appointments. With what is going on uh, in the Middle East at the moment, a lot of people have asked um, is this war significant? Um, Is this war prophetic? What's happening? Um, So, what I wanted to do was look at um, the feasts of the Lord. There are seven feasts that the Lord instituted to Israel. Uh, and at first, they appear to be just um, celebrations similar to what we do at Christmas time. but they have a far greater significance because four of the feasts that take place during the spring, Passover and leavened bread and first fruits were fulfilled to the letter at christ 's death, burial, and resurrection Pentecost that was fulfilled at the giving of the Holy Spirit, so there are four feasts that take place within 50 days of one another in the spring. And then there are three feasts that take place within a close proximity of one another in the autumn. And they are trumpets, atonement, and tabernacles. Um, So Christ fulfilled the first feasts at his first coming, and will fulfill the autumn feasts at his second coming. Well, obviously, his second coming hasn't happened yet. So at the moment, we are in the gap between the spring feasts and the autumn feasts. We're in that gap today. Um, So what we are looking at, we're looking at what God has done with this gap, what Christ will do during this gap, and then what we should be doing because of this gap. And we're looking at what's gonna happen then in the world before the Lord Jesus Christ returns to fulfill the last three feasts, to fulfill those autumn feasts. And we read last week, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, but we read last week in Isaiah 9, 6, a verse that we often quote Christmas time, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even for ever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Father, we thank you for this day and for this time together tonight. And for this opportunity to come around to your word. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what has to happen in this world before the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Uh, If we can have an understanding of the scripture, if we can trust you because of your word, then Lord, that would help us to deal uh, with what's going on. That would help us to not become anxious with the events of this world. And instead of focusing upon those events and losing heart, we would focus upon the Lord Jesus Christ and take encouragement because his return draws ever nearer. So, Lord, we pray you'd speak to our hearts today. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. We often quote that verse at Christmas time. For unto us a child is born. For unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful. His name shall be called Counselor. His name shall be called the Everlasting Father, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And we like, great! What a wonderful Christmas verse. But then the next verse kind of explains what the child will do. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. I, I can promise you this. There is not peace on earth at the moment. Um, there's a, a, a Christmas a song that was written, in it during, I think it was during the Civil War in America. We've sung it here. Um, there is no peace on earth. He said, I heard the bells on Christmas Day. and They're all familiar carol play. Um, and what the writer was saying, the writer lost his son during the Civil War. And he was basically saying, there is no peace on earth. Um, There is such wickedness on the earth. How can there be peace on earth? Um, And that peace hasn't been realized yet. That peace has not been fulfilled yet. Even though Christ is the Prince of Peace, there will never be peace on earth until the Lord Jesus Christ returns to fulfill this passage of Scripture, to take up the throne of David. You know, there's a lot of people. Uh, within the realms of Christianity that say, well, there is no such thing as the millennium. That thousand years, it's just all allegorical because the Bible says a thousand years is as a day and a day is as a thousand years. Therefore, that thousand years does not matter. Well, it does because otherwise this verse cannot be fulfilled. The Lord Jesus Christ will return the Lord Jesus Christ will come back for his bride, us as the church, and one day the Lord Jesus Christ will return and redeem his people, Israel. Um, Regardless of what we believe, um, so-called Christianity might say, ah, yeah, well, God's done away with Israel now, and the church has replaced them. Uh, No, he hasn't. He's not done away with Israel. Uh, Israel plays an important part in God's purpose and plan. So last week, with this gap that we are looking at between the spring feasts and the autumn feast, we are still gonna look at what God has done. So what did God do? Well, last week, we looked at the fact, I think I've broken my clicker. Yeah, Josh, I broke it. Uh, We looked at what God did in relation to um, the covenants. And we saw that there were eight different covenants in the Bible. And these covenants were contractual agreements. Um, And these uh, contractual agreements uh, were made. Some of them were made with mankind. uh, And some of them were made just with Israel. Some of those contractual agreements were conditional uh, covenants. And a conditional uh, covenant was... If you do this, then I'll do this. Um, The Mosaic covenant was a conditional covenant. If you obey the law, then I'll bless you. If you don't obey the the law, then you're going to be in trouble. That was a conditional covenant. Then there are some covenants which are unconditional. And um, out of the five covenants made with Israel, um, four of those covenants are unconditional. It doesn't matter how they behave. God will bring those promises to pass. Um, We saw um, that these covenants were literal, and they were to be interpreted literally, that they were God-made, that they were eternal, and they could not be restricted or altered by any way, not even time. Um, It was necessary to re-emphasize that these unconditional covenants were not done away with because of Israel's disobedience, and these covenants were made with a specific people, Israel. Israel. The Abrahamic covenant um, was simply that God would make of Abraham a great nation and that he would give him a land and that through Abraham's seed, a savior would come. Then there was the Mosaic covenant. This was one of those conditional covenants. If you obey the law, then I'll bless you with this. If you don't obey, then, you know, I'll even take you out of the land. Um, There was the land covenant under which the Lord said, this is the land I'm going to give you. And this is what you need to do when you get into the land. This is how you need to behave. This is what you need to do. This is, I'm going to give you the land from uh, this river to this river. And all of that is going to be you as that was the land covenant. Then there was the Davidic covenant. And that was a covenant made with David to say, look, your seed is going to sit on this throne forever. And then there was a new covenant. That covenant was initially made with Israel in Jeremiah 31. Um, but the Lord Jesus Christ took it up and made certain of its clauses to include the church. Uh, we, we see some of that this morning when we came around the Lord's table. So, when God called Abraham from Ur of the Chaldees and told him to go to a place that he would show him God then took um, Abraham's family into Egypt. Whilst in Egypt, God made a nation. He took 70 people who came down into Egypt and suddenly led 400 years later, led millions out of Egypt and in the wilderness gave them laws, gave them statutes, gave them religious ordinances for them to function as a nation. Um, God also made provisions for how his people could approach him. That was the purpose of the tabernacle, so he could dwell among his people. Remember, that was the whole purpose that God created man in the first place, was to have fellowship with us, was to dwell with us, was for us to be able to um, approach him. So God made Israel a nation, gave them covenants, a promise. He gave them a law in order to govern. He gave them uh, religious ordinances in order for them to be able to approach a holy God, even though they were a sinful people. So that's what God did. So what then would Christ do? Well, in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, uh, and we looked at this a couple of months ago and we went through the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, the Lord Jesus Christ said this, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Christ came to fulfill the law. As the Lord continued his sermon on the mount, his attention turned to the Mosaic law. And if you remember from the sermon on the mount, the Lord said, look, I know it said of old, you know, you shouldn't commit adultery, but I'm going to take it one step further. If you even look upon a woman and lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. He says, I know the the Old Testament law says you shall not kill, but I'm saying to you, if you even hate somebody, you've pretty much committed murder in your heart, So the the Lord Jesus Christ kind of elevated the law to say, we can't keep it. It is impossible for us to keep the law. And the law was the foundation of the Jewish national life. There was a moral law, a ceremonial law, a religious law. This was their code of conduct. How they were to behave. And they were even told what to do if they were living in a moldy property. And They were told what to do if they came in contact with a dead body. They were told what to do if somebody had stolen something, if somebody had hurt somebody, if somebody had injured somebody. There were laws for a a whole aspect of daily life. And Christ said, I've not come to destroy the law. I've come to fulfill it. You see, the problem with the law was nobody could keep it and I'll prove to you that nobody could keep it. I'm going to ask you a question, and I want you all to be honest with me. How many of you have ever told a lie? Okay. How many of you have ever stolen anything? And the ones who haven't put their hands up, I don't believe you because you just told me you were liars. (laughs) I always remember I always remember saying this to Kay's mom. And I talked to Kay's mother and I said, You ever stole anything? She said, No, I've never stolen anything in my life. I said, You ever been to Tesco's? You remember at the time when, when you used to, have to when you bought fruit you had to weigh it? I said, You ever been to Tesco's and you kind of you know picked up some grapes and you've wandered around Tesco's, eating your grapes, and then you go to the till and you weigh them? And her face she was just mortified. At 90 years of age, when I renewed her and John's wedding vows last week, we were even joking about that in the fire. She still remembers. She said, oh, You still remember you me about pinching those grapes? So we lie, we steal. How many of you at some point in your life have taken the Lord's name in vain? How many of us, if we were true to ourselves, could say honestly, We've obeyed and honored our parents? How many of us can say, Yeah, we've, we've kept the Sabbath? How many of us can say, yeah, we've only ever worshipped God and with our whole heart. How many of us can say we've never once coveted anything. And again, you might say, well, I've never committed adultery and I've never murdered. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, if you look with lust or you hate somebody in your heart, then you've broken the law. James said, if you, broke, if you break one part of the law. So if you manage to keep nine of the Ten Commandments but you slip up one time and break one of them. James says, if you break one, you may as well have broken them all. And that's just 10. There were 613 commandments in accordance with the law. 613 separate edicts in the Mosaic law. Well, here's the thing. The Lord Jesus Christ kept every single one. You see, the law was how to approach God. But you couldn't do it. We've just seen now, you're all a bunch of lying, thieving, blasphemous, blaspheming, adulterers at heart. We can't keep the law. So you might say, well, why did God give the law if it could not be fulfilled? It could not be completed if it could not be kept. Again, the scripture says, the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. If you went to the doctors and the doctor said, you're fine. You're like, I I don't feel fine. You know, I feel a little bit rough. I feel like, you know, I probably could do with surely some antibiotics or something. You know, my chest feels a bit tight and I feel, no, 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 you're fine. I don't feel fine. I still feel a bit rough. No, you're okay. What type of doctor would that be if you were unwell and the doctor said, no, no, everything's fine. And what type of doctor would it be if you went into the surgery and went, oh, yeah, you are rough. You, 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 you're struggling. And nothing. You're struggling. You say your chest. sounds was really rattly. And you know, you're, you're probably, um, you probably know, going to struggle for the next couple of days. And you're like, well, where's the help? Where's the benefit? Where's the medicine? We want the doctor to say, right, here's the problem. Here's the cure. Brilliant. Thank you ever so much. That's what the law does. The law says to us, you've got a sickness. That sickness is called sin. The Bible says that sin is the transgression of the law. Sin simply means we break God's law. All of you as parents, at some point in your lives, had a rule in your house that the kids had to obey. We had some kind of law, whether it was a particular time to go to bed, whether it was a particular time to wake up, whether it was a particular chores that they had to do or whatever it was, but we had laws in order for our house to function properly. Well, the Lord has laws, but we can't keep them. The law shows us not how good we are. The law shows us how far short of God's glory we kept. For all have sinned, all have transgressed the law, all have broken the law and come short of the glory of God. And you're like, wow, what a depressing message. Here's the thing. If the law was how to approach God and man couldn't keep the Lord and therefore could not approach God on those merits... When the Lord Jesus Christ came to fulfill the law, we were then able to approach God based on his merits, because he's the one that kept the law. The Lord Jesus Christ was perfect as a baby. He kept the law. As a boy, he kept the law. As a teenager, he kept the law. At home, at school, at work, at play, as a son, as a brother, as a, 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 a neighbor, as a friend, as the carpenter, as a, a preacher, in secret and in public, when surrounded by people, when on his own, he kept the law. He never sinned one time. He who knew no sin, he who could not sin, he who did not sin was made sin for us when he died upon the cross. Our sin was imputed to him, so his righteousness could be imputed to us. He kept the law. He kept it in letter and in spirit. He kept the law in its injunctions and in its intentions. He kept it because that was his nature. He only wanted to do what pleased the Father? John eight twenty nine, and He sent me. Uh, he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I always do the things that please Him. In the Old Testament times, the most sacred object connected with Israel's richly symbolic system of worship was the Ark of the Covenant, that stood within the Holy of Holies. Inside that Ark was a copy of the Mosaic law. Upon the ark rested the mercy seat, the throne of God, where the Shekinah glory of God rested. Remember, the reason that God wanted to build the tabernacle was so he could dwell with his people. The ark represented the Lord Jesus Christ. In his heart resided God's unbroken law. Upon him rested the enthroned spirit of God and now present on earth in a wonderful new way. John the Baptist said, I saw the spirit. And that statement was unique because you could not see the spirit of God. The Holy Spirit can't be seen. He is eternal, invisible. But John said, I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. The word translated abode in Hebrew is mende, which means um, uh, to abide, to abode, to dwell, to remain, to continue, uh, to endure, uh, to to tarry, to be present. It was the visible coming of the Holy Spirit that abode upon the Lord Jesus Christ that identified him to John the Baptist. Now remember, John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ were relatives. Mary and Elizabeth were cousins. So John the Baptist and the Lord Jesus Christ were second cousins. Um, But John the Baptist was told, you will know who the Messiah is. Uh, And he said this, I knew him not, but he that sent me to be baptized with water, the same said unto me, upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descend and remain in on him The same is he. The Holy Spirit could enthrone himself upon the Lord Jesus Christ because of that unbroken law which dwelt within his heart. Psalm 119 says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. The word didn't just dwell in the Lord's heart. He was the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with flesh. The word was with God and the word was God. That word became flesh and dwelt among us. So because that word, the law was within the Lord Jesus Christ, he could not sin against God. God's law was in two parts. There was the moral law and there was the ceremonial law. And the Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled the demands of the moral law. In his death, he fulfilled the demands of the ceremonial law. We looked at this, I don't know how many years ago, in the offerings. In the different offerings, we looked at the time of day that they were being offered, and we compared that to the time that the Lord Jesus Christ was being offered on the cross of Calvary. Uh, And in his death, he fulfilled the details of the ceremonial law. He uh, fulfilled the symbolism of the sin offering, the trespass offering, the meal offering, the peace offering, and the burnt offering. He uh, was the goat that was slain on the day of atonement. Blood was taken into the holy of holies. He was the scapegoat. Uh, where the blood was applied to the scapegoat, and the, lay, uh, the, the, the people laid their hands uh, on the scapegoat, and he was led away into a land not inhabited. He was the bird that the, the cleansed leper brought to be slain in his stead. He was the other bird uh, that the cleansed leper brought to be dipped in the blood of the first bird. Jesus was the unleavened bread of the Passover. He was the paschal lamb. He was the ashes of the red heifer. He was the blood that was shed for sin. The red rivers that poured from thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices were a feeble type of his precious blood that was shed upon calvary he fulfilled the law christ fulfilled the prophets as well as the law everything that was spoken um, about the lord jesus christ was fulfilled can you imagine isaiah Isaiah looking down from heaven, maybe, and seeing what took place upon the cross of Calvin, Isaiah going, oh. and I know what you're gonna say in a minute, but just bear with me, poetic license. Isaiah say, oh, That's chapter fifty-three. He's fulfilled chapter fifty three. Oh, my days. I said, you know, when the Lord spoke to me that he was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a, a sheep dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Uh, he, I said about him, you know, the, the chastisement of our peace was going to be upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. And Isaiah looking down, saying, I, He's fulfilled that. Everything that I said that he would do, you know, the, uh, the, the virgin would conceive and bear a sin. He's fulfilled that. The fact that he would go to the cross uh, 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 and uh, be uh, bruised for our transgressions and wounded for our, trans, uh, uh, for our iniquities and the chastisement and our peace and by his stripes we're healed. Isaiah says he's fulfilled all of that. And maybe David turned and said, oh yeah, but look at Psalm 22. Look at everything he said from the cross in accordance with Psalm 22 or Psalm 69. And then maybe Zechariah turned around and said, yeah, but he's, he's also fulfilled my prophecy when he came into Jerusalem on that donkey. Uh, when uh, he was, uh, when they looked on him whom they've pierced, uh, how incredible that he fulfilled everything that the prophet said. When uh, uh, he, Micah said that he would be born in Bethlehem, he fulfilled that. Uh, when the prophet said uh, that he would uh, uh, go to the cross, he fulfilled that. Jesus said that he came to fulfill the law. And in Matthew 5, 18, he said, Till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. The jot was the smallest letter in the alphabet, and the tittle was the smallest part of any letter. Merely a mark, sometimes a distinguished one letter from the of the letter, just like if you think a, you know, a C looks like that, and then just one little line changes the C to look like an E. Um, you could say that you know the the jot is the dot above the I, the tittle is the the line that goes through the T, something like that. Um, There's just the smallest bits of writing, and the Lord said, "One jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be." fulfilled the same almighty word that spoke the heaven and earth into being spoke the mosaic law into being and um, the edicts of the lord are so exact infallible and timeless when you think about it every law that we have today every sensible law that we have today pretty much comes from the ten commandments that is the basic standard of living you know the first part of the commandments we usually refer to them as vertical commandments they are how we interact with the lord we are to love the lord our god we are to only worship him we're not to have any idols we're not to blaspheme his name we are to keep the sabbath and keep it holy that's how we interact with god the other commandments then are how we interact with other people. We are to honor our parents. We are not to kill. We are not to commit adultery. We are not to steal. We are not to lie. We are not to covet. That's how we interact with other people. And when you think about it, every law that we have today is basically how we are to kind of treat one another, how we are to behave. It's quite incredible when you think about those. Those 10 laws that God gave uh, to Moses. God demonstrated that his law was holy and just and good. And you might say, yeah, but nobody could keep it. But the Lord Jesus Christ could. And that's why he came. That's what he did. He fulfilled the law when he came to this earth. He didn't come to destroy the law. He came to fulfill it. Such was the Lord's appreciation for the law. It was God's demand. It was heaven's minimum standard. It was God's code of conduct. And Christ fulfilled the law. I'm saying all of that to say this. It does not say that he came to fulfill the covenants. He didn't come to fulfill the covenants. He came to fulfill the law. But not only did he come to fulfill the law, what else did he do? He came to preach. Preach the kingdom. That's what he came to do. He preached the kingdom of God. Kingdom is mentioned in the Gospels. Only four books. It's mentioned 127 times times. That's how many times the word kingdom is mentioned. Turn to Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Acts chapter 1 and verse 6. Let's go up. Let's, let's go back. Let's, let's go up to... Um, Let's go to verse 1. the former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up. After that, he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem. Them, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but he shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost many days thence. When they therefore were come together, they, the disciples, asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power, and after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly towards heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, ye men of Galilee. Why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as you have seen him go into heaven. So Jesus, in those 40 days, Jesus had gripped the hearts of the disciples and he had spoken in great detail about the kingdom of God. I think it's Matthew 13 that we have the what we know as the Kingdom parables. Uh, and that is the, um, the sower and the seed. We have the wheat and the tares. We have the mustard seed. We have the, um, the great tree and the birds and the, and the leaven. They are kingdom parables. They're not um, parables in relation to how the gospel is going to go out into the world. They are talking about the kingdom of God. Um, so Christ had talked to them about the kingdom of God. And their question now is, is this the time to restore the kingdom to Israel. What was Christ's response? Did Christ turn around and say, you foolish people, what are you going on about? Have you not understood what I've said for all of these days? How daft are you to ask that type of question? He didn't rebuke them for the question that they had asked. There was nothing wrong with their question other than the fact that it was out of context. The Lord said, It's not the time now for the kingdom to be restored. Um, The kingdom is going to be restored to Israel, but not yet. Um, They should have known that it was not going to be restored at this time because the Lord had spoken to them in detail about what was going to happen next. Because at his rejection, a new age started. And that's the gap that we live in now. And that is the church age. It's not the fact that the church has replaced Israel. It's not the fact that God has done away with Israel. It's not the fact that he said, you know what, all of those covenants that I made with you are now null and void. Um, It's it's no good because you've rejected me. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm just gonna start again and we're gonna start with the Gentiles. That's not how God works. God made unconditional covenants to his people. When Christ came, he came to fulfill the law, not to do away with the covenants. The church age has to um, intervene, as it were, before the kingdom can be restored to Israel. And when people fail to understand that, that's when people start to get mixed up in their end times approach, in their eschatology. Say, so, oh, well, there is no millennium, there is no second coming, Christ isn't going to return us. You know, we we can usher in the kingdom if we get the gospel to the whole, but that's not how it works. God will bring in the kingdom again to Israel in his time. The church age um, has been brought about because even though Israel was still unrepentant, even though Israel was Christ rejecting. The Holy Spirit was going to be given, and Paul would be able to say then, that is now neither Jew nor Gentile. Today, in the church age, you're either lost or you are saved. That's it. That is the distinction of people. God will one day restore the kingdom to Israel. Not yet. But up until that point, Israel needs to come to know Christ as their Savior, just like you needed to come to know Christ as your Savior. Christ fulfilled the law so people could access the Heavenly Father through the, the, through the Son. You know, I read a wonderful story years ago. I, I can't remember um, which king he was, but there was a little boy um, outside Buckingham Palace, and he was desperately trying to see the king. And uh, he couldn't get through, he couldn't get through the crowds, he couldn't see. And all of a sudden, a young man came to him and said, what do you want? And the little boy was crying, and he was upset. He said, I want to see the king. So this young man said, come with me. He grabbed him by the hand. He walked past every single bodyguard straight into the throne room and simply said, Father, there's a little boy that wants to see you. That's what the Lord Jesus Christ did when he fulfilled the law. He made it possible for us to access the throne of God. He made us possible to access the Father. But the Lord didn't say to his disciples, when the disciples says, you're going to restore now the kingdom to Israel. He didn't say, no, we've done away with that now. Israel no longer exists. Now we're going to concentrate on the church. No, he said, it's not for you to know the times. That's that's not what's going to happen now. The kingdom will be restored to Israel one day because remember all those covenants that God made to Israel, they've got to be fulfilled. So Christ said, one day it will be. Restored, but not yet. The church age is what we are living now. The Lord Jesus Christ had been teaching them for the last 40 days about the spiritual kingdom, not the physical kingdom. Um, And you can't blame them. You know, they they have kind of been waiting for this. This is what their scriptures promised them. So they weren't wrong in in, in asking for that because that's what the scriptures had been pointing to. And if they'd accepted uh, the Messiah when he came, the kingdom would have been ushered in there and then. The establishment of the millennial kingdom awaits the Lord's second commitment. The disciples may have grasped the Old Testament truth, but they struggled at this time with this transition to New Testament truth. You know, the Jewish national clock was pretty much going to stop ticking. The Lord Jesus Christ said in Luke chapter 19, as he looked at Jerusalem and wept, he realized that there were troubled times coming for Jerusalem. He realized that there were troubled times coming for the temple. He made the prophecy that there wouldn't be one stone left upon the temple. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, or you can look online, these stones are huge. They are massive. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, not one stone will be left upon another. And you'd think, you know, when you've seen ruins around here, you see like Caffili Castle, I don't know if that tower is ever gonna fall, but it's, it, you know, it's been leaning for, for years. And there's some big stones in Caffili Castle. And even though it's not been inhabited and lived in for quite some time, you still kind of get a general idea of the structure. But the Lord said the temple in Jerusalem wouldn't just be a ruin, there wouldn't be one stone left upon another. Do you know when the Romans sat Jerusalem in AD 70, and as they burnt the temple, the gold that overlaid the walls melted and went into the cracks of the stones? So in order to get to the gold, they literally took each stone off one another so they could get to the gold. You know, if you destroyed something and you destroyed a building, you'd be like, oh yeah, I'm not going to take it all the way down. And, you know, it's it's pretty much done now. They're not going to rebuild it. So I leave it as it is. But the Lord said, not one stone would remain upon the other. And because of the way in which the Romans burnt the temple... It was destroyed, and the Lord's uh, prophecy was fulfilled in A.D. 70. Jerusalem would be destroyed. The Jewish people would be scattered. And the curse that the nation themselves invoked upon their own selves when they said in Matthew twenty-seven twenty-five, His blood be on us and on our children would come to pass. Meanwhile, the king would go on a long journey, and he was a trust in his affairs in the world to us. They were to no longer look for a material kingdom. They were to start preaching the gospel. The Lord had preached the kingdom, and now it was time for them to preach the gospel. What would God do in this gap? He gave Israel covenants to say that he would never forsake them as a people. What did Christ do in this gap? He came to fulfill the law and then to prepare us to proclaim the gospel. So what should we be doing in this gap? We'll find out probably after Christmas. Father, thank you again for this day, for this time together and for this privilege have been able to come around your word. Father, we recognize the fact that your word is true. Uh, We recognize the fact that we are a privileged people. We hold in our hands a a Bible that was written uh, by 40 different Jewish people. We recognize the fact that we worship a a Messiah who was born through a Jewish family, who lived uh, in Israel, who died in Jerusalem, who rose again in, in Jerusalem to save us, who fulfilled the Lord of God so that our sins could be forgiven because of his sacrifice. And Father we recognize the fact that you have not discarded your people Israel. You've not done away with your people Israel. They are not saved as a nation yet even though there are many individuals who are Jewish uh, who have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as they save it as a nation. They're not saved yet. But one day they will be. One day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. After 144,000 witnesses evangelize the whole world, the nation will come to a national repentance and will look on him whom they've pierced and will finally say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. That's not happened yet. And there's a lot that needs to take place before that happens. So Lord, I pray that you would help us to be familiar with your word So we don't get caught out with what's going on in the world, with people's different viewpoints of what will happen. Let us just trust the word of God and take comfort from the fact that you know what you are doing and you know exactly what's going to happen in this world and you will bring your promises to pass. So Father, I just pray that you would continue to help us not to lose heart as we look at the wickedness around us, but to keep our eyes fixed firmly upon the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray and ask these things in his most precious and wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We stand and sing our last hymn together, O come all ye faithful, and we'll stand as we sing.
1: today to be in this place, Lord, to sing your praises, to gather around you a word and share fellowship one with another. Lord, we thank you for uh, the message that we've heard tonight and the, the challenge that it is to us, Lord. We just pray that as we go from this place, that we consider the things that we've heard this evening and this morning and uh, that you'll bless them to us. So we pray that you'll be with us and continue with us, Lord, as we uh, share fellowship one with another next door and through the week ahead, Lord, that uh, we might uh, bring glory and honor to you in all that we do throughout the week. So we just ask your blessing and we give you all the praise and all the glory and thanks all to you lord and we pray in jesus name